look up there in the airwaves. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's me, David Robertson. And it's uh, me, Christopher Carter. Um, looking up there, I, I, I can't, I can't see anything except a, a roof. Um, which has somewhat changed since the last time that we recorded in this uh, room um, back when we did a book reviews episode um, when there was an unfortunate incident that I shall not say anything more about. Something we shall say more about is superheroes. Did you know that this year is the 80th anniversary of the first publication of Superman? Wow. Which really is the birth of the modern superhero phenomena, which of course dominates popular culture at the moment. Let's find out a little bit more of that by speaking to A. Dave Lewis on the subject of Muslim superheroes. And uh, it's you who's been speaking to him. So we've got um, that wonderful um, culmination of Dave and A. Dave. I think this is um, A. Dave's third interview appearance on the um, RSP, but he's also conducted a few interviews for us as well. He has. Over to... Yeah, let's let's go and see him again. Uh, Dave A. Dave. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome a Dave Lewis to the podcast uh, once again. Um, Dave is one of the few, if not the only, one of our uh, regular guests to be both an interviewer and an interviewee. And it, yeah, well, I might be the only other one, um, uh, strangely enough. Uh, but it's um, certainly, it's been a little while since he's been on, so it's my pleasure to welcome him back. So thanks once again for joining us. All right. Okay. It's good to be here. Good. Uh, well, this time we are going to be talking about uh, Muslim superheroes. Um, partly uh, jumping off your recent edited volume with uh, Martin Lund called Muslim Superheroes, Comics, Islam and Representation. Um, obviously, quite a lot for us to unpack here. Um, so... Maybe we could start with you just telling us a little bit about um, why you decided to focus specifically on on Muslim superheroes. Um, largely, it comes from an earlier collection that I did called uh, Raven Images with Christine Hoff Kramer. Um, and when we did that collection, we had a number of contributors um, give us perspectives from religions all over the world and, and historically, but to be frank, well, we as the editors even found the Islam section to be light. And given that that was growing as a focus of my own studies, given as that was growing as a focus in my own personal life, uh, it's something I in part wanted to remedy. Now, there had been some work out there done particularly on Islam and comics as a medium in general, but not on this uh, hallmark genre. So it, uh, I approached Martin and said that I was interested in this, uh, not just the dearth of research on Muslim superheroes, but also the increasing number uh, of Muslim superheroes that we were steadily finding uh, in mainstream U.S. comics. And 
From there, we uh, reached out and put a call for papers out, also tapped a few people that we knew had similar interests and tried to uh, synthesize the limited information that was out there into uh, this volume, as well as uh, inject it with new ways in which we could explore the topic. Great. And it, as a topic, I think there's a number of really interesting uh, aspects that make Islam and superheroes, and superhero comics specifically, a particularly rich field for us to explore. Um, maybe we can talk about those uh, in a little bit more depth then. I mean, for a lot of people, and you know, I, I'm a comics fan, so I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit. But um, I mean, the idea of the superhero seems to be particularly tied to the you know an American context. It's, it seems to have a lot to do with the American dream and with America's role in the world. Um, yeah. So, looking at the way that uh, particularly American comics have have um, dealt with Muslims is uh, particularly fraught with uh, interesting data oh hugely and uh, not only is it brought with uh particularly in the post-september 11th context or even earlier than that during the uh, uh the hostage crisis uh of the 80s but really so much of this engagement has been passed over and forgotten not necessarily chronicled uh i reached back as far as i could looking for uh, not the earliest Arab character in superhero comics, nor the earliest Muslim character across all genres, but I was really trying to pinpoint when did this genre in its infancy uh, begin to engage uh, other religions rather than ostensibly the Christian norm. Uh, and I became actually rather enamored with what I found uh, which was a character in 1944, going back uh, mm -hmm. just you know a few years into the first superhero boom, uh, called Kismet, yeah. Man of Faith. And not only did I start studying this character, I found that I, I took sort of a, a shine to him and wanted to start writing further adventures from him since he had fallen into the public domain. It'd be quite interesting to look and see if there's similar... Um portrayals of Muslim characters in the kind of British wartime comics. There was a lot of those still around when I was a kid, um, you know, telling these sort of true life World War II stories, because, of course, it, and at that time, um, a lot of soldiers would have come into contact with um, with Muslim soldiers, especially those serving in sort of North Africa and places like that. Um, Absolutely. A, a much different uh, context than we have now. Uh, without question, although I will say it's not surprising that it would have entered uh, sort of the British consciousness far earlier than the U.S. Uh, popular consciousness, given, as you said, uh, you know, colonial engagement mm -hmm. and um, more widely speaking, uh, the theater, uh, the theater of battle. Whereas for the U.S., we have been very slow to become aware of Islamic culture. Um, despite it being not only important in the 20th century, being important uh, historically, classically, uh, with our, uh, you know, the classic philosophers. But no, it would not surprise me in the least to see 
more Muslim representation, both good and bad, you know, both mm -hmm. uh, fair and then highly stereotypical in British uh, war genre comics than uh, U.S. superhero comics as a latecomer. Indeed. Um, of course, superhero comics as a genre, there's... I don't need to tell you that there's many other genres of comics, of course, but the superhero genre in particular seems to be tied to the um, American immigrant experience, doesn't it? So, I mean, that's another resonance. Very, very much so. In fact, I think it was uh, Danny Fingeroth's book, Disguised as Clark Kent, um, <laughs> where he points out that the American superhero genre really is largely reflective of the immigrant experience. And you can just look at, um, you know, the pantheon of superheroes. You either have uh, aliens of very different varieties, Atlanteans like Aquaman, Kryptonians like Superman, Amazonians like Wonder Woman, mm. uh, or you have the dispossessed um, sort of, orphans in either the literal or the figurative sense yeah. and that's where you get your batman your captain america your spider-man but the genre particularly when it was formed in the late 30s early 40s here in the u.s was absolutely about uh, congealing into a shared american experience rather than there being one uh, quintessential, pure American experience. And that has gotten at many times lost in the history uh, of the genre. I think if there's been any time uh, to best recapture it, it might be now as superheroes are moving from comics as a fringe medium, largely speaking, mm -hmm. uh, to uh, cinematic blockbusters and people who um, may never have been caught dead with the comic book are now shelling out uh, however many bucks uh, to go see them live on the big screen. Yeah, something which has changed dramatically even in the time I've known you. you know, we've been talking about comics. It's gone from a very um, fringe interest into, as you say, the biggest uh, genre in cinema right now. Um, and perhaps that's why we're seeing... Um, a number of very high-profile Muslim characters coming into mainstream comics at the moment. Ms. Um, Marvel is an obvious example. Can we talk about her a little bit, maybe? Absolutely. Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, born and bred Jersey girl, mm -hmm. but with a Pakistani background, who, as a fan of superheroes, who's actually a fan fiction writer, um, finds that she is... Uh, incredibly imbued with the power of a polymorph, meaning she can change the size and shape of her body at will. She has become really the, the frontline character. I don't like using the word frontline. Maybe, the, maybe <laughs> yeah. the banner character for uh, Muslims in superhero comics. Uh, she certainly... Uh, caught on with a large section of readers, especially with Marvel um, attempting this diversity uh, initiative. The problem with her, if there is any problem, it's a terrific character and, and written by a, uh, a terrific team with G. Willow Wilson, 
if there's any problem with the character, it's that most people just know her for being Muslim. Right, yeah. Right? Uh, the character doesn't come off as often, come up as often in discussions uh, where religion is not the focus or where diversity is not the focus. And I'd only say that's a problem because that does give her uh, an upper limit, uh, a ceiling of sorts where we can talk about and generalize um, what Captain America does, mm -hmm. right? or what Iron Man does, or even what Superman does, but we don't yet have, as popular as Ms. Marvel is, or as Simon Boz, the new Green Lantern is, or any other number of characters, we don't yet have that Muslim character that who is transcending their Muslimness, necessarily, uh, into storylines so compelling and so iconic that audiences are keeping up with them. Maybe Ms. Marvel is starting to tilt that way. Right. She is a member of the Avengers and the Champions now, but I think the only context a, um, a layperson, so to speak, uh, would know about her in is in this uh, religious and diversity uh, diversity centered context. Right. And um, sh she reminds me actually a lot of Miles Morales. I think there's a few yes. clear parallels. I mean, Miles Morales is, you know, the black Superman. Um, Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man, yeah. Sorry, the, the black Spider-Man. Um, introduced around the same time in Marvel. Black and, black and Latino. He's actually... Muslim. That's right. Yeah, he is. That's right. Um, he's He uh, is, a, similar to Miss Marvel, become a hugely popular character um, is also a superhero fan, interestingly. Um, I hadn't thought of that until you mentioned it just now. Um, but s similarly, you know, has had difficulty crossing, has had some success crossing into the mainstream, but is still almost always talked about in terms of, you know, his ethnicity rather than simply as being a compelling character. But that might be starting to change now. I don't know if you know that, um, when, um, when they made Spider-Man Homecoming, yes, they, they they were talking about whether they should use Miles Morales because they, they were facing the fact that they had to relaunch this character for the third time. And it was decided against it because um, a black superhero film can't make any money at the box office, right? Now, obviously... You know, that's changing. That's, 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 that's changed quite... Disproven pretty solidly recently. Yes, I think we've completely thrown that out the window. But um, in, there is now a Miles Morales animated movie coming out. Um, That's true. And um, just going back to Spider-Man: Homecoming for one minute. Not yeah, to yeah. Please do. Too far from the subject of uh, of uh, comics and religion. I do want to point out that they did cast Donald Glover uh, in that movie in a small part, but his part there is actually playing the uncle of Miles Morales. Yes. So we haven't been introduced to his character yet, but they have laid down the groundwork Absolutely. for uh, integrating his character. But I think you put your finger on, on one of the problems there, David, which is that these characters are always becoming known as a subset of another character. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned Simon Boz. He's now the Muslim Green Lantern. I mentioned, we mentioned uh, Miles Morales. He is the black or Latino Spider-Man. Um, we also had, we had the female Thor as well recently. 
female Thor. There's the Batman of Paris, uh, <laughs> the Muslim Batman of Paris, Night Runner, and even Ms. Marvel is inheriting uh, a mantle from the former Ms. Marvel, now Captain Marvel, who's mm-hmm. going to get her own movie. So we haven't quite gotten to the point where we have uh, a Muslim character whose core identity partly is Muslim, but also is forging a, uh, a superhero narrative uh, in their own right. And the reason I keep coming back to superheroes, mm-hmm. I feel like this is worth saying, you are absolutely right. There are uh, any number of genres out there when it comes to comics, almost as limitless as any uh, other medium. However, comics are often judged in terms of superheroes, A, and B, as you mentioned earlier, superheroes are largely an American-made product or an American-originating product. They're the closest uh, we have to uh, what Richard Reynolds calls a modern mythology. Yeah. So the reason I keep returning to the superhero is basically this has to be the testing space for whatever religious theory or criticism we're bringing to this medium. Is comics superheroes and superheroes comics? No, absolutely not. And I would never um, limit either one in that way. But if we can't talk about uh, the superhero comic in terms of the subject that interests us here, uh, religion and uh, representation, then that challenge is going to keep presenting itself. Until it can be brought into this space, it will always be penultimate. I had this thought, actually, when I was reading the book. You mentioned um, that a number of... Uh, most of the examples we've given today, in fact, except for the Green Lantern, um, are Marvel characters. Um, and what you're saying there about modern mythology, I think, is the reason why. Uh, DC characters are harder to represent as having a religion because DC write more mythologically. DC characters are essentially gods. So it's much harder to represent religion, ethnicity, uh, gender issues and these kind of things because they're not related to human. But the, they, the classic argument is that, you know, while DC are are gods marvel are always telling metaphors for being a teenager (laughs) so marvel characters are much better suited to these kind of um discussions about identity and representation um because that is that's the marvel style and i think that's that's true historically right uh dc has been around longer uh as a as a unified company uh and batman and superman reach back further than the fantastic four or spider-man or the x-men but i think there is the opportunity to challenge that Mm -hmm. just the same i mean we could focus on superman's alienness instead of his godliness or we could focus on um the flash really is your most mortal and most human of heroes, but he gets elevated to this godlike Hermes status in, um, well, at least in popular consumption. So I don't think that either company has to be locked into these positions, and there have been a number of times that Marvel has experimented with sort of the more godly figure 
with its with its characters. Um, but yes, I think if you had to, you know, do a, a fast summary of each one, you get Marvel with its very human heroes being raised to an elevated status that they may or may not be able to handle, and DC superheroes being sort of gods, but more gods with feet of clay, or gods with uh, an, an affection or a tie to humanity. That said, neither approach precludes engaging spiritual or religious uh, material. What do... Uh, I thought it was when this was... This was a Justice League annual back in the year 2000. So this is pre-September 11th. But they did try to uh, introduce a Muslim character at that time called the Janissary. And the Janissary, she was a fine character. But the more interesting thing that came out of that particular issue is, does Wonder Woman, an Amazonian, a princess, a goddess-like character, and at certain times actually portrayed as a goddess, um, does she wear a hijab? <laughs> is she either subject to the cultural norms of the society she finds herself featured in, or is, does she transcend that? Uh, or does she even find it uh, alien to her? Because she has proof of her own gods and not of an uh, unseen uh, Allah. So these can be engaged in any number of ways if the companies are, frankly, see a profit motive for it. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, the Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, um, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they're expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even one pound a month um, by going to patreon.com slash Project RS and subscribing. We know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people in their learning. So if you can help um, either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the PayPal button on our website, it would be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia. But now, back to the episode. I'd, I'd like to dig into some some other examples. Um, Ms. Marvel, there's there's been a few papers and stuff, and people can go and read more widely. And obviously, we can you know point them to your book where there's a lot of uh, a lot of good examples. Um, but I, I want to bring up a few uh, sort of more perhaps more problematic examples. Um, one that you don't talk about directly in the book, but that I became um, was the first time I became aware of this as an issue in comics was um, Holy Terror. Um, oh yeah, uh, which was originally going to be a Batman book. It was originally going to be Holy Terror Batman, playing no. on the whole nineteen sixties television Robin catchphrase, Holy Terror Batman, and it was uh, pitched by Frank Miller of Dark Knight Returns and Sin City and Three Hundred Fame to DC, and DC thought about it and ultimately rejected it, so he reworked it. Uh, as his own uh, independent book, I believe, with legendary comics. Yeah, um, and 
I don't know an awful lot about Frank Miller, um, but I'm guessing his politics must definitely be towards the more right wing end of the spectrum. They have they have absolutely grown that way uh, over over the years. I can't say if he's always held a a right wing position, but uh, I do recall that shortly after September 11th, there were any number of charity relief books that were being published yeah. by. Uh, various uh, companies, and it struck me that he contributed a very um, militaristic piece, uh, like, get ready for our thunder, get ready mm. for our power, you've woken a sleeping giant. And since that time, his work has turned uh, quite, I would almost say, radically uh, to the right. In Holy Terror Batman, he reworks uh, a Batman archetype into a character that I believe he calls the Fixer. Yeah, that's right. And the Fixer is intent on wiping out terrorism, but the only form of terrorism showcased in the book, basically terrorism becomes uh, synonymous with uh, radical Islam, with extremist, militaristic, radical Islam. And Having it in just that lens really betrays an Islamophobia that his concern isn't terrorism, or else we could look at spots around the world, those that are unrelated to Islam, where terrorism um, is being employed. He really takes a turn there towards um, a xenophobic fearing of the other, um, and one that stands in his view, in opposition to uh, America and American norms and uh, democracy. It's worth noting that uh, one of the works that he did, which followed this up, which followed up Holy Terror, was he returned to Dark Knight Returns for a third time. Uh, He did Dark Knight Returns, Dark Knight Strikes Back, which happened right as uh, September 11, 2001, uh, struck and may have actually changed the way he concluded that story, but then he returned with Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, which is uh, in very brief summary all about basically Kryptonians, Superman's people, coming to terrorize and dominate uh, humankind, and only Batman and Superman can save us, and it rings the same bells of basically this xenophobia against an outside religious group that seems to be, from his perspective, aggressive Mm. and um, attempting to conquer. Uh, So these are themes that he has pursued um, in a rather, I find, distasteful manner, but definitely in a forthright manner. He's not uh, hiding or, or being cute about it. There are a number of other comics creators out there who are injecting anti-Islamic uh, themes into their content without saying so explicitly. Mm-hmm. But when we focused on Muslim superheroes as a book, we said that that's sort of, that's less our concern with tracking Islamophobia in comics, which is its own tremendous topic, and there's been some great work done on it, but more looking at how they're trying to integrate 
the heroism and the principles of, frankly, U.S. heroism or Western heroism um, to interface with what are perceived Islamic ideals. I would be quite interested to know a little bit about um, black Muslim superheroes, because obviously that's a another important aspect of Islam in America, historically speaking. And presumably here we're going to be talking mostly about the pre-9-11 situation. One of our chapters uh, is a terrific piece on basically reading uh, earlier black superheroes. Uh, and we can point to John Stewart as one of the, uh, as a Green Lantern, or point to the Falcon, mm -hmm. Captain America's partner. As uh, I believe our contributor calls them, uh, crypto Muslims <laughs> or proto Muslims. That basically, if you're a New York writer of comics, which is where the two, uh, DC and Marvel, the two major superhero companies were stationed, what you're seeing of, uh, black strength and, uh, black, uh, uh, presence in the news and in your environment is either the Black Panthers or the Nation of Islam. Black Panthers being not the superhero movie, Black Panthers, the, uh, uh the group. Although there is a, there is a direct connection there. Stan Lee, um, took the name of the character directly from the, the Black Panthers. Um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard different reports on that. I've heard that it either entered his consciousness or he did conspicuously think. I, I don't know the exact details there, but yes, you can read a lot of, uh, black, uh, characters and comics in the sixties as well as the seventies as, uh, what we called crypto Muslims, mm -hmm. but then you can uh, go forward and find actual uh, black Muslims in a number of comics, particularly around the 1990s. Uh, Milestone comics had wise son. Marvel comics featured Josiah X, um, who was a, a Muslim, a black Muslim preacher who also had a family member uh, experimented on in Captain America's super soldier. Program. Uh -huh. So they definitely exist, but even here, um, they did not have yet the nuance or uh, just the uh, enjoyability of characters like Simon Boz, like, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, like uh, Excalibur, um, and a number of others. These were very serious, angry, severe characters. And being included is terrific. You know, being represented is important. But often their full humanity wasn't portrayed, I, I dare say. Mm -hmm. And... That could be because they were not being written by black creators or minority creators. Uh, they were uh, white, usually male creators' imagination of uh, the black man and of the black Islamic man rather than a more authentic experience. I don't want to be mischaracterized as saying that only black uh, writers can write black characters, only Muslim writers can write 
Muslim characters. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. Uh, but I am suggesting that when you have uh, a gulf and a, a conspicuous gulf between such characters and their creators, that's something that has to be examined and looked at cautiously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's actually quite a good link then into the, my next question, which was um, comics, superhero comics, which come out of the Islamic world um, and which perhaps play with and reframe some of the American context um, in the creation of their own superheroes and superhero teams. Um, can you give us a couple of quick examples of, of those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, this is, I believe we dedicate at least two, if not three chapters in the book to this topic. Um, the most notable of them, the, the Ms. Marvel equivalent, the most well-known, uh, would be the 99, which yeah. came out of uh, Kuwait. And uh, this was actually spearheaded by a professional psychologist, uh, Naif al-Mutawa. And the issue they ran into, at least according to our contributor in the book, is that there were any number of superhero genre elements that they could reproduce with uh, uh, Muslim characters, except, except for two. And that was the hypersexualized nature mm-hmm. of the superhero. And you could start with the skin tight. Um, costumes, if you like, but you can also look at their physique and physicality um, and go from there. The other thing that they were cautious about that other companies were less cautious, but this was a challenge for the 99, was their uh, resolving everything or nearly everything with violence. Mm. Which was very much an image that uh, Dr. Amutawa wanted to move away from. He wanted these comics to be inspirational of solving uh, conflicts with other powers, with other abilities, with conflict resolution, or with uh, building and such. So they struggled with that. Other companies like AK Comics, which were admittedly less successful out of Egypt, Um, They were more embracing of those two additional elements, but they did not last nearly as long uh, as the 99. So um, we don't yet have – now, there are more uh, publishers even today. One that comes to mind is uh, Unique Studios, and that's spelled uh, Y-O-U-N-E-E-K. Uh, studios, which is a, an African company, and I think they're doing a terrific job of sort of trying to thread the needle in the way that the Black Panther movie does, being genuinely African, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but also still delivering on narrative elements that audiences have come to expect, rather than being some weak copy of an American superhero or being uh, diverging into its own subgenre. Um, this is a challenge because the American superhero char- has characteristics not only that may not translate into other cultures and religions, but may have ones that 
the American superhero industry itself doesn't want to fix. Uh, again, referring back to the issues of violence and sexuality, also looking at uh, misogyny, patriarchy, heteronormativity. Um, how much can it be changed by uh, a non-white and non-Christian group before it becomes unrecognizable is, a, is the challenge of the day. Indeed. Um, we've been talking a while now, um, and we could go on quite a while more, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, I've got a couple of, uh, a couple of questions to wrap up then. One is I particularly liked the little, um, chapter at the end of the book that you and Martin Lund contributed, uh, which talks about the idea of using these in schools. I absolutely love the idea of using an issue of Miss Marvel, for instance, as a text for students to engage with these issues? It's, it seems like not only the natural outgrowth of these things, but also the, the rise in detra, you know, the whole, are we just studying these things for our own amusement mm -hmm. and just as an exercise, or is there something to be done here? Can we include a call to action? And the, as I said, the most natural call to action is to bring this into the classroom and let uh, students have a foundation where they can engage with it. And it, I think as we know in the final chapter, this doesn't have to be head on. We're not proposing that we need Muslim superhero classes, you know, and we need a Muslim superhero curriculum and degrees given out in Muslim superheroes. We're actually suggesting that instead this genre and this uh, religious interaction with the genre can be uh, a powerful way to explore historical events, to explore cultural differences, to explore media bias and media studies. Um, so we really just want to open this to uh, the educator who may not be an expert in comics or may not be an expert in Islam and certainly not the two combined but we'll see the inherent value of um, working on materials that, that, accent student, that access student attention in an awful way. Right, and using um, popular cultural texts, be they comics or, or television or films or whatever, I think actually can be a more powerful way of... of introducing the students and teaching the students the critical skills. If we start with academic texts, then getting the students to, to be able to read the biases and the positionality of the papers can be quite tricky because academic language is very qualified and very specific. But using popular texts to start with, actually, and teaching them to read them as media uh, texts, we can do a lot to um, to train them in that way of, of critical reading that they can then take on and apply to more, uh, you know, obviously academic uh, texts. And this has long this has long been true. Educators have tried to incorporate music in the classroom and incorporate film in the classroom, uh, and and really any um, medium that isn't a textbook, right? Mm -hmm. um, that can sort of take the student unawares into learning or, or into critical thought is always welcome. We highlight the comic book uh, because of our fascination with comics in its dual channel um, 
delivery system in its verbal, visual, creative uh, engagement with the reader, that will work for a number of students in particular uh, who don't have to be comic book fans themselves, but may be looking to light up different hemispheres of their brain at the same time that a lecture or a strictly prose textbook uh, wouldn't be able to do. Absolutely. Um, as a final uh, closing kind of point, then, is there any further thoughts on how this kind of uh, the work that you're doing in this book and elsewhere, um, that, what can it tell RS? Uh, what can, how can these kind of analyses then enhance religious studies more broadly? Well, I think that a particular area, two, two come to mind. Uh, the first is that we talk often about lived religion, right? Yeah. And that we often want to explore how religions are uh, either evolving or being expressed uh, in a modern context, uh, and then tracking that against uh, the religion, you know, historically uh, or classically. And I want to point out that comics are a relatively cheap and very evocative space in which to track that sort of lived religious experience. Um, whereas television is highly scripted and highly censored in many cases, uh, and film, while perhaps less censored, uh, is again driven by uh, a huge profit motive, comics, while a business, um, and while a business that wants to sustain itself, has a greater freedom with the most reach. Mm -hmm. So that would be my first response, that if we're trying to do a present-day lived uh, anthropological read of religion in popular culture or its representation, comics is an ideal space. One further argument to have, and this is this is a little more radical on my part. <laughs> Good. We like that. This. Uh, I wrote about this for an, an upcoming book. Um, this is going to sound wonky, but I have the perspective that comics, um, when read, I guess intensely, when read seriously, or when read um, genuinely can lead to their own transcendent experience. Now, this is going to make me sound like, you know, someone who's uh, drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> but um, in as much as we say, what, frescoes and tapestries and stained glass windows and, and sculpture can all uh, really unlock as arts, uh, the human mind to some spiritual dimension. Um, I want to suggest that there are comics out there that could do similar, that can actually by, and I think the way I phrase it in this um, upcoming text, is that by basically going down into the mundane, right? Down into the print and the ink and the paper, of the comic, it can actually trick us and flip us towards the sacred, towards what lies behind it, the real, real. And here I'm being 
very uh, Eliade in, in my language. Um, but I'm exploring that more and more. I'm not necessarily saying you're going to get that from your average Superman comic off the rack, right? And uh, I'm not saying it's better to read Ms. Marvel than go to a mosque. I'm not saying anything of that sort. But I am suggesting that we can't um, we can't rule out this medium as having its own access to transcendent, potentially transcendent experience. And uh, in the chapter that will be coming out, I think later this year, uh, I make the argument for why it's not just legitimate, but actually might be uh, favorable to view them in this way. There are some, uh, there is some inkling of that actually in Graven Images. Um, but yeah. we can maybe pick this conversation up in a, in, you know, in a year's time when we, when I interview the next time. Um, you know, as it, it does sound a bit wonky, but as somebody who reads, uh, The Invisibles every year, you know, you're not going to get an argument from me. That actually is a terrific example of precisely the sort of comic, uh, you could deal with. And actually, I came up with a, uh, a fantastic, uh, really out there, crazy term for it. We'll talk about it next year. Yeah, we'll pick it up next time. Um, I call it the, the wormhole sacred. So be, be sure to ask me next year about the wormhole sacred. Excellent. I will. We'll do that. Let's put it in the diary already. Um, until sure. until then, though, I would urge listeners who've enjoyed the conversation to check out Muslim superheroes, um, and uh, I'll just say. Uh, thanks uh, a Dave Lewis for joining us again I love coming back thank you so much for having me thank you wonderful to hear from you two gentlemen again and um, hearing yeah so we're we're very familiar with um, the dominance of the Marvel and um, DC universes at the moment in western pop culture but excellent to hear um, about how some of the the, the tropes similarities and differences with um, within uh, sort of predominantly Muslim cultures, so it was excellent. And the way that those uh, those um, superhero ideas, which are so often taken to sort of embody Americanness, are, are de-turned by using uh, Muslim characters and Muslim storylines. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, what news do we have? Well, we're coming up to the, the end of the RSP year, and we're only going to have another two podcasts for you before we take a, a well-earned summer break. Um, so at the end of that period, David and I will be having our, our usual annual, I'd say semi-annual strategy meeting. We tend to have one in, in December, January as well. Um, and this is about the time that we start to think towards the next academic year and new interviewers, um, you know, getting some more members of the team. So if you're out there, if you're a regular listener to the RSP and you think, Hey, I could do some of that or I could contribute, um, either behind a computer, behind a microphone or in some other way. Uh, please do get in touch with us because now is prime time. Yeah. Uh, so just drop an email to Tommy at editors at religious studies project.com if you're interested. And we're also, uh, possibly we'd consider having one more, uh, trainee in the audio editing. Um, we have two at the moment but we could probably squeeze in another one if you'd be interested uh do mention that in your email absolutely um and i should flag up that the european association for the study of religions conference um, is taking place in two weeks in Bern in switzerland uh, so i'll be there 
um, along with Sammy Bishop and Tom White representing the RSP. So um, do look out for us if you are in Bern. And hopefully we'll be coming back um, with, well, if there's three of us there, I'm going to say at least six podcasts. I, yes, I would hope so. Um, and I'll need to try and get some merchandise over there, some of our notebooks, and if they arrive in time, our new badges. Um, so again, if you're there and you see uh, Chris walking about or Sammy or who was the other person? Um, Tom White. Tom White, of course. If you see any of them walking about, go up, say hello and uh, see if you can score mm. some freebies. And I may even take some inspiration from Jonathan's um, recent um, video efforts and might uh, record some sort of little snippets and while I'm there. Fantastic. Uh, for the Facebook page. Yeah. Um, Facebook page. Twitter, all that. I keep doing this, and it's it's in our tag, but that's fine. We'll mention yes, it anyway. We're it approaching like, five thousand likes on Facebook now. It's quite excellent. Five thousand is that's astonishing, actually. It is. Yeah. I mean, overall, it's been the biggest year for the RSP yet. It has, uh, despite website issues, but um, it seems to have been remarkably awesomely stable. Yeah. Well, uh, for a few yeah, weeks thank now. Thank God that we had the YouTube uh, channel at that point. Uh, but um, yeah, we are. Uh, we've sorted those website issues out over the summer. Another thing we're going to be doing is, uh, is hopefully redesigning the site. Mm -hmm. If I can get that in gear, that will be one of the things on the list of this meeting next week. It will indeed. Um, but do come back next week, um, for an interview that David recorded a few weeks ago in Edinburgh. Um, it's, it's with two interviewees, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Boaz Huss was visiting and Steve suggested we talk about spirituality and I said well Steve why don't you join us and take part as well and so the three of us are working in that area have quite a lively discussion and I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it excellent yes um, despite um, that being quite a central um, interest to a lot of us at the RSP the topic just of spirituality has never really been tackled head on so that'll be great yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, if you've made it this far, yeah. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks listening. for listening. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. Brought to you by founders and editors in chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett, and our opportunities digest by Yana Shirley. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock with audio assistance from Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop. Don't forget you can support the project using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or by donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.